Our gospel comes from Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good, no- good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I love the classic Christmas story that we hear in Luke's Gospel this evening. It's a story that we hear each and every single Christmas. But I love even more John's Gospel. I love his story of Christmas because it starts in a very different way. In fact, it starts without any words of Mary, any words of Joseph or the angels or the shepherds. Instead, it starts with these words, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Two verses later, in verse 5, it says, a light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What John is declaring is exactly the divinity of Christ, the divinity of what is transpiring on this Christmas night, and it brings us to the darkness that we ourselves experience, not just in the literal sense as you brave six o'clockers come into the dark. The ten o'clockers are going to come in even more darkness, amen? But we come into a darkness, and we are not alone in that darkness. You see, in, in... Luke's Christmas story, it was just a night like any other night. Mary had an idea of what was transpiring. Mary, as any mother in this space would attest, has an idea of what is to come. She has already been given this great news months earlier in which she shared with her cousin Elizabeth. And on this particular night, as they're heading south, as they are heading to Bethlehem, because of this unique moment, this 
crazy moment for all intents and purposes in which God is using this Roman conundrum to bring about this moment in time. All the while, out on the hillside, are the lowly shepherds. When we say lowly, we do mean that because the shepherd's role was not viewed upon of anything with esteem or worthiness, so to speak. At that particular night in the evening, while Mary and Joseph are in Bethlehem, as Mary and Joseph have received the news that there is no space in the inn, everyone and their grandparents have come to town because of the Roman emperor and his decree from Quirinius, Governor Quirinius's decree of the census. There is no place in the inn. And Mary, a mother in anxiety, a woman in anxiety, about ready to give birth, and Joseph... We can only imagine what his thoughts were. They are now taking shelter in a manger. But out on the hillside are some clueless shepherds gathering on this dark evening. They gather and they have now ushered their sheep into the back caverns on the hillside. I, I know as we grow up and we hear the story of the shepherds and the sheep, we all think of these you know, luscious green pastures when I was in Israel five years ago, that is the furthest thing from the truth. Outside of Bethlehem, it's, in a, it's a steep hill. It's covered in rocks and grass, and there are caves right there embedded in the hillside. The shepherds would have ushered their sheep now into the caverns, and at that point, once the sheep are safe and protected, they would then take their posts at the doorway. They would turn their backs to the sheep and now focus everything down the hillside, looking at the stones, waiting for them to move waiting for the wolves or other predators to come out. I imagine for the youngest shepherds, learning to live in the darkness was a, a time of practice. I'm totally going between the lines, but maybe if some of those young shepherds would have wanted to light their oil lamps to feel comfort or have any idea what's going on around them. But I also imagine the eldest shepherds would have had them snuff those lamps out so that their eyes can fixate in the dark, their eyes can adjust and keep watch. Yay. <laughs> the shepherds are in the darkness. And I have imagined that God's promise in John's gospel is about to come true because as they sit there and wait, we're reminded of those words, a light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Say it with me. It's going to become a theme here this evening. A light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The 3.30 crowd did all of it, didn't they? It's okay, six o'clock. I know, you guys have already eaten. We're digesting. It's at this point where the heavens are torn open and this light comes absolutely exploding in their presence. I imagine it's blinding of sorts and all of a sudden there is this voice, this angel, suddenly appearing before them on this hillside. And it says, fear not. And at that point I'm sure the shepherds are like, yeah, we got this. No, I imagine they're terrified. Because this is a night like no other nights in ever in their history before. And there this angel is there bringing them good news, telling them not to be in fear. And not only is the angel there, then comes a multitude of the holiest hosts. 
Now, I know we all have our favorite Christmas CDs that we go to throughout Christmas. One of the ones that we have loved is the Mormon, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Anyone, anyone ever hear it? Take that times a thousand. I imagine that is this experience they're having. And even the most musically inept sitting amongst us here would have still had shivers running up their spine in the moment in which these angels appear saying, Fear not, for I come bringing you good news, good news of great joy that God is smiling down, down upon all of you who he favors. I thank the shepherds who were once in the darkness now have the light dwelling among them. And I imagine they have the angel's full attention. And the angel says, this will be a sign to you. Down in town there will be a baby lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloth. That child is not just the child, that child is your Savior. He is the one that is not just going to save you, he is going to save the entire world. It's at that point the heavenly hosts, they retreat back into the heavenly realms. I know it's a story that we think to ourselves, yeah, that sounds great, that's a familiar one. But imagine. I don't think the shepherds remained idle at that point. In fact, the hint that the angels gave them, I imagine, would have been received as a command. They took off down the hillside, and as they were taking off down the hillside, they enter into Bethlehem, and it's at that point they enter into, again, the darkness of the streets, the darkness of the town, not really having an idea of exactly what it is they are to find. I pause there. I pause there for us because on Christmas, sometimes we enter into this mind of, this mindset of, Pastor, that's a great story from thousands of years ago. Not really sure what to make of it any longer. But that's where John's gospel rings true. A light shines in the darkness. Do we need practice? The darkness has not overcome it. You see, there are so many in this community right now that are living within darkness. We are in a time in our history, we are in a time in our culture in which mistrust is rampant. We are in a time in our society in which division is absolutely so palpable, you dare not even talk about the cold anymore. You dare not even talk about the common cold. You dare not talk about parenting because there, no one ever actually does it right or, or does it wrong. Amen? We dare not even talk about these things. There's finger pointing, running rampant. The wealthy are starting to feel poor for the first time in a long time. The, miss, or the middle class is completely gone, dare I say. We have absolute nonstop debates on sexuality of with who or how many or how we identify within it. It is nonstop rampant division and debate. And we all call it politics. Pastor, I don't want you to preach politics. I'm not preaching politics. I'm preaching observation. A light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. On this particular night, somewhere across the world, we still have people huddled in tunnels, held captive, praying that light will shine into their darkness. We have children in refugee camps, 
praying that maybe the light will burst through their tent into their darkness. We have soldiers entrenched in trenches once again at other places of this world, hoping and praying that light will shine into their darkness. We have Christian brothers and sisters in other countries all across the world that are praying that light will shine into their darkness. We have teenagers that leave school and go home, lock themselves in their rooms, pull the shades, and the only light they have is the screen in front of them, and the things they're witnessing are the things that lead to counseling and therapy time and time again because of their darkness. I have spouses in tears in my office because of darkness in the marriage, darkness in their life, praying that light will spearhead through the darkness. My wife, one of our school nurses and our guidance counselors, as we take joy and comfort to be on a Christmas break this moment, they are deeply and profoundly in prayer for some of our children who are actually terrified on Christmas break because they have to go home into the darkness. Now, Pastor Greg, thank you for making my Christmas full of doom and gloom. It sounds, Pastor, like you are preaching nothing but craziness, but here is the caveat to this Christmas moment. Here is the caveat in which the angels say, fear not, in which the pastor is tasked, pastor meaning shepherd, by the way, declares, fear not. You see, we call it craziness. We have come up with this idea that everything that I've just listed is a conjecture of nothing but craziness. But the truth is, that's not craziness at all. That is actually us failing at living within the law that God gave us. One of my favorite modern-day theologians that you might find on social media, which I dare you don't actually spend a lot of time on, he talks about how we, amongst our craziness, Mike Winger is his name, he talks about, amongst our craziness, what we would rather do is pretend and ask for plastic surgery on our lives. And God's light into our darkness is not plastic surgery. Instead, it's a heart transplant. God longs to come in and give us all a heart transplant of sorts. You see, the darkness that we keep speaking of is something that started long before us. The darkness is a part of our human condition. The darkness happened all the way back to Adam and Eve in which that garden was prepared, in which God's creation was prepared for us. And it wasn't perfect, but it was very good as Scripture shares with us. And it's in that moment that Adam and Eve started to have questions arise thanks to the serpent in which he simply asked the question, did God really say? If I could make a dollar for every time I've had someone in my office say, did God really mean? Did God really say? Does God really hear me? Does God really live? Does God really act? And brothers and sisters, we are living within the darkness of doubt. Another beautiful Christmas story, Mark's Christmas story, also doesn't start with Jesus in a manger. Instead, it has John the Baptist 
the last prophet in Scripture who is declaring, well, he's quoting words from hundreds of years prior to him, from Isaiah the prophet, one of his forefathers, in which he says, I am the voice in the wilderness crying out. I am here to prepare the way of the Lord, to set his paths straight. What John was speaking to was the depravity of human condition, the depravity of humanity. And even to this day, the word depravity sounds judgmental, critical. Oh, we depraved Christmas souls. Well, the truth is, the word depravity goes back to the Latin, which means provos, which means crooked. Depravor in Latin, which means twisted, contorted. We are twisted and contorted in and of ourselves. So John the Baptist is preparing his listeners for the one who's going to straighten it all out. John the Gospel writer reminds us that the word is to become flesh. The word is to come and dwell among us. And that word is God's light. And the light will shine into the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. If you want to know the craziness of Christmas, it's not the craziness that we live in. The craziness of Christmas is what God is doing in the story. For the shepherds, they are there on the hillside. And back in town, they are getting, unfortunately, really used to this Roman oppression. And they are really getting used to King Herod, who is just a pawn and a panderer for the Roman Empire. He's not even Jewish. He's the one in charge of taking extra taxes on his own name as well. And the shepherds are getting really used to this as well. And they're also getting really used to all the needs and the desires of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests up in the temple who are always begging and pleading for more, for more, for more amongst the righteous versus the unrighteous ones. And do you think the shepherds were ever going to be deemed righteous? By no means. Again, they're in the darkness until that light comes blasting in and God's promise is proclaimed. I imagine those shepherds were wondering in this moment, who is ever going to be for us? Who is ever going to be for this world that is so broken and crooked and corrupt? And I'm talking about the shepherd's story, not ours. But I think ours is about as simply overlaid as theirs. Amen? I want to close tonight with a reading that is never, ever prescribed on Christmas Eve. The theologian of the church, Paul, he writes this in Romans chapter 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. In all these things, we are more than conquerors 
through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither the height nor depth, nor anything else in all the creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The theologian of the church, decades after that shepherd's moment on a hillside, When that light shined into their darkness, they took off running into a dark town to find the light of God wrapped in swaddling cloth in a manger. And as they looked at those precious little hands, at that time they did not know yet that those hands would have nails in them for us, for them. As they looked at those precious little feet, they did not know yet that those precious little feet would be nailed to a cross for us. As they looked at that precious, beautiful, perfect skin that babies have, they did not know yet that it would be pierced by a spear on that cross for us. And as they looked at that precious little smile and that precious little baby's head with the hair sticking out of the swaddling cloth, they did not know yet that there would be a crown of thorns on that cross. You see, Christmas can't be detached from the rest of the story. God did not send us Jesus. The angels didn't show up in the shepherd's life that night declaring Jesus for us to have another holiday. God let the light shine into the darkness because we needed a Savior. Those shepherds saw it. They believed him. They felt it in their innermost innermost beings. And they took off to tell everyone the good news of Christmas night. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness will not overcome it. Thanks be to God. Amen.